VorpalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out-of-print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hey, this is Mike Merles, lead developer of 4th Edition, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we're going to chat with Mike Merles, Mr. D&D himself, head of the D&D RPG these days, as well as Nathan Stewart from the D&D brand team. And they're going to chat to us about the state of D&D in this Gen Con follow-up interview. First, however, we should take the time to remind you about our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. It's an online store that specializes in finding out-of-print game products, but also carries new games as well. Our pick for this episode is Murder in Baldur's Gate. Weird how I picked Murder in Baldur's Gate as our pick for the episode before we did the interview, and we talk about it somewhat extensively. For those of you who don't know, Murder in Baldur's Gate is the new Encounter Season adventure that introduces us to some of the changes coming to the Forgotten Realms. Uh, as well as, interestingly, being compatible with three different editions of D&D, 3.5, 4th edition, and D&D Next. All you have to do is download the stats, monster stats for whichever edition you want to do. Although, I don't want to go into too much detail, we will be reviewing this product later in the month. But if you don't need to wait, head over to Noble Knight and pick it up now, and make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game minis or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today! And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back now with Mike Merles and Nathan Stewart from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Cool. Excited to be here. Or welcome back for Mike, and welcome for your first time, Nathan. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, don't haze me. <laughs> well, we'll try not to be too rough. I mean, you got you got all the questions ahead of time, so nothing should be a surprise, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Dungeons and Dragons. I always expect a surprise. That's true. We might throw a random encounter in there. Uh, so we're largely, uh, you know, there was lots of lots of conversation over the last year. The playtest has been going on now for what a year, year and a half. Uh, a year. And- yeah, and, and Gen Con just happened, and, and lots of things have been discussed through there, and so we just sort of had some follow-up questions from all of that and, and sort of see, I don't know, the state of the, state of the game, so to speak. Uh, and I kind of wanted to, to start off by talking about that, that open playtest process. Um, it's been going on. It's almost at the end uh, at this point, so I'm curious, has it gone the way it was expected to go? I mean, it has in the sense that uh, we launched it to sort of get back in touch with what people were doing with D&D to get a sense of what people saw as important to get what they wanted out of D&D. But it hasn't in the sense of 
we didn't necessarily go in the direction I thought we were going to go. Well, I mean, I, I was hoping we'd go in a direction where the game was getting simplified. I mean, that's really what we wanted to do was create an edition that felt like D&D, but it was also very accessible to new players. And it's been interesting. We were just reviewing some playtest feedback today, some of the data we get in. And it's been very interesting seeing that some of the highest rated stuff has been some of the most simplest and easiest to understand and easiest to use the table stuff. And I think whenever you're dealing with something where you know, you're reaching out to people online, you kind of expect you're going to get a very hardcore audience. And so it's, it's kind of good to see that even people are really, they're into D&D enough that they're going to go out and download a playtest packet and review it and play it and then fill out a survey. Even they're saying, oh yeah, they like the more direct, simpler options. They like the speed of play and things like that. So that's been a real relief because I think one of the big worries was you have a situation where either there were yet yeah, these groups of fans that you couldn't make both groups happy. You know, they had very distinct desires from the game. Or people were just like, I want complexity and anything that's more accessible is turning people off. So like, I didn't expect that. I hoped for it. But it's been good to see that see it play out that way. Mm-hmm. From my point of view, just on the brand uh, director side of the business, it's played out exactly uh, how uh, I thought it would, which is, uh, or hoped it would, which is I wanted these guys to, you know, really get uh, consumer and fan feedback and really listen and make meaningful changes. And when I watch uh, how and what the Mike's team has been doing, uh, it's gone exactly, I think, how a, a playtest or an open beta uh, should, which is, you know, real consumer feedback and meaningful changes. You know, these guys, uh, these guys are listening every shape, form, and fashion. They take the surveys that he said, but they also are scraping the message boards. They're uh, having, you know, different groups that they're uh, interacting with the meeting. I mean, Mike's probably got a notepad full of feedback, uh, you know, from the fans and players. And, uh, you know, they've gone directions that uh, if you would ask the design team, hey, is this the way you're going to go? They would have been, yeah. And then they got the player feedback and like, no, we're going a different direction. So <laughs> I think it's gone exactly how uh, it was supposed to from my perspective, which is they've 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 really listened and they've really impacted it. They did not uh, they did not have a preset course and uh, and went that way. They said, "What do you what do you guys think?" And they've uh, changed course along the way a couple different times. And I thought it was pretty cool to see. Now, and you mentioned Mike that that you had a sort of a vision of what you ex- where you expected the game to go, and it didn't necessarily go that way. So, would you mind sharing some of the the vision of where you thought the game was going to go that you know that didn't pan out? I really thought that since we were talking to, we assumed we'd be talking to a fairly hardcore audience, that people would want more mechanics in the game. And, and that's also been where RPGs, tabletop RPGs, have gone the past 12, 13 years, has been more and more detail, more and more mechanics, more and more prescribing what you can do. Like, you know, when it's your turn, here's your list of options. More simulationist sort of play? Yeah, more 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 mechanical, you know, yeah. more things defined rather than a more open-ended experience, you know, a, a rule set that's more extensible, you know, like in, in terms of the DM doing stuff rather than being more rigid. Okay. So uh, the open play test it has been announced is going to be closing fairly soon, uh, but we know development is not necessarily all done, so... Is how is playtest going to be handled after the open playtest period ends? So what we're doing from here is doing much more focused testing. Um, there's basically two tracks. There's going to be more the uh, testing for balance, where it's more prescribed. Like we want to run a fifth level party against this group of monsters. You know, get as many people to run that specific encounter or the specific sequence of events in the game to test out for bugs and make sure that things are kind of turning out correctly in terms of the math behind the system. 
Then the other half of it is more focus testing in terms of like, what are our rules for using miniatures in the game? Or what are rules for adding a lot of like storytelling elements to the games? Things that are options that we don't expect everyone to use. What we found in the uh, open test so far is that if we give an option to people, they treat it as if it's a core rule because everything else they're seeing is a core rule. So people, you know, you're asking all these people to answer the, you know, what do you think of this rule? And I think we get a lot of people who are, well, I wouldn't use this and therefore I hate it, right? Where instead of saying, no, this is really, if you're not going to use it and you don't like it, that's fine. You just don't use it. So we really want to make sure we're getting really uh, useful feedback. It's not just people saying, oh, I don't like this option. Well, that's okay. It's an option. So we just want to make sure the people who the option is aimed at are the ones who are giving us feedback on it. It's kind of like when you beta test to, to load balance or to stress test your server. So you guys are going to be uh, the first one you described is really saying, okay, hey, we think that this you know is going to be scalable and 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 doesn't break. Yeah. Throw it out there. We want as many people to try as possible. Hey, it worked. Cool. Okay, it didn't. Cool. We'll fix it. You know, yeah. kind of stuff. So that's uh, that's what I kind of uh, what I hear when you guys say that. And I'm like, yep, that's you know, it's the difference between when you're kind of uh, I guess uh, you know doing the test earlier, doing a late in the cycle. You know, you can't affect the rules here. Uh, but you do want to you do want to get as many people bashing on it as you can. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, and you mentioned I think at Gen Con as well that um, as you go into out of the open play test and you start looking at some of these optional rules and, and modules and these kinds of things, and you find the groups for that, that you're going to open up the the closed play test to more groups. Yeah. So how are you going to find those groups? Is it just going to be sort of word of mouth through current playtesters and people you know, or, or is there going to be a process in place? Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. Ads. Craigslist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a combination of we have groups we've worked with. We've had like uh, DMs who volunteered at PAX or Gen Con. Um, also, like going through like uh, working with Trevor to identify like fans or people from forums or social media who we know have certain likes and dislikes that they've talked about. So going back through that feedback we've seen or people writing about the game, reaching out to those people. Uh, so yeah, basically all, all the typical kind of things you'd expect. And, and part of it is we do have our current list we call the alpha list, the groups that we have more like direct relationship with. So just, and I think we have a couple hundred groups that fall in that category. We've rotated through people on that list because we just know, I mean, playtesting, it's not something wants to do always. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a, like a backlog of groups that we'll also be reaching out to. So a combination of those different approaches. Okay. Uh, now, at, at Gen Con, you also talked a little bit about how the, the purpose of the open playtest, or at least part of the purpose, was to help you better understand what people considered to be D&D. Like, what is D&D and what isn't it? Um, that, in some ways, feels a little bit more like market research rather than playtesting. So how, how much of, you know, what, what, where's that balance? How much of it was actual playtesting mechanics and how much of it was market research to sort of see what feels like what? Yeah, so actually I have a pretty good example from this, right from some of the playtest feedback we're looking at today. We have the fighter class, and we had uh, these options, like you could choose to be a gladiator or choose to be a knight, and that came with a certain set of special abilities. And that actually got rated, people didn't like it. People liked the fighter overall, but they didn't like those options. And it was interesting comparing it to the rogue, where the rogue you could choose to be a thief or an assassin, and people really liked what we had done there. And so it was kind of like seeing, like, okay, like, when people think knight, they don't think, like, it was this very defendery mechanics we'd given it. That's not what they think of when they think of a knight. You know, when they think of a knight, it's something resonant, but the way we're expressing it isn't really matching what they'd expect in play. So in some ways, it's sort of validating, like, when you, not validating, in this case, invalidating, <laughs> when you have a concept, to make sure it's being expressed appropriately. That That's something we know people like, and that's something they want to be in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. But and this goes beyond the tabletop role playing game. In any game we play of Dungeons and Dragons, we don't we wouldn't want like we tried this, but it didn't really stick of saying, Oh, a knight is someone who protects other people. But we have information now that says, No, that's not really how people see the knight. 
you know, they see the knight being more the traditional, like, you know, guy who rides a horse, who wears, has a lance, who wears heavy armor, who has a code of conduct. All that stuff's true, but then taking it the next step and saying, oh, in the game, when you're playing the knight, you protect other people, uh, that doesn't seem to resonate with people. Mm. So a lot of it's kind of like figuring out and seeing how these concepts, when you put them into the game and express them, does that expression ring true to people? And and so you've been uh, gathering a lot of this information about things. Has this also impacted other parts of the business with the brand? Things like the board games or the Creo product? I don't know uh, if I pronounced uh, that correctly. I think it's Creo, but I will double check. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I know it's Creo because the, the little guys are called Creons. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's a really funny thing. You're, you guys are asking the questions about the playtest and Mike's, you know, talking about the playtest and that. You know, you, you think, oh, that's, you know, the, the role-playing, the tabletop role-playing game. That's the rules that, you know, govern the, the role-playing. But it's not. What Mike's, ta- what's Mike's talking about here, this is, you know, these are governing the rules of Dungeons & Dragons, the brand. Uh, and so your question is, a, you know, a, a leading question in a really positive way. Uh, <laughs> because it's uh, one of those points that often gets confused with, uh, with Dungeons & Dragons. We're not... You know, the tabletop role-playing game might be the, um, you know, the spiritual center of the brand and one of the core expressions uh, of the brand. But, you know, Dungeons & Dragons is, is, is much, much bigger than that. And Mike and his team, they're not trying to solve the problem, you know, what will make a really good paper rule set for the thing. They're talking about uh, game mechanics and, uh, you know, and driving force behind uh, the D&D brand that uh, is almost product agnostic. It's definitely going to have a really, really, really core expression in uh, you know in your uh, in your tabletop role playing game, and that's where a lot of people's uh, you know first experience has been over the years. Uh, so they you want to get it right with that audience, but that's not the only place that this this rings true. And it's going to ring true across all, all the Dungeons and Dragons products. When Mike's talking about a rogue feeling like a rogue, he you guys might have heard that as uh, you know at the tabletop game with your dice, but it means in any D and D game, it means if you're playing you know, Neverwinter, that the rogue there feels like the Dungeons & Dragons rogue. Right on. So in a similar vein, has the fact that you've been in a, a long playtest process, uh, which means relatively little RPG product coming out, sort of encouraged, hey, let's check out these other uh, product things that we might do, you know, the board games and, and other things? I don't think it's, I don't think it's been directly. I mean, I think that, that's just, I think it's been the plan for d and as a whole. It's mm-hmm. been to kind of extended out beyond just the RPG. Because we know D&D, to a lot of people, if you've played Baldur's Gate, and that's how you know D&D, or if you remember it, the cartoon show. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think that it's that time that has allowed that. I think that's actually been something that's been going on in the marketplace that uh, we're just uh, realigning ourselves to uh, be, uh, be able to uh, better uh, address. We want to make sure that the uh, Dungeons & Dragons fan, no matter what your game is, that you prefer... Uh, that you're all experiencing the same great storytelling and, uh, and annual narrative they're putting out there. So, like in the current Sundering, uh, you know the uh, the Forgotten Realms and uh, you know the the stuff that's going on between the gods and the chosen uh, and everything there. Uh, you know, in uh, in an ideal world, it doesn't matter what uh, what game you're picking up. That should uh, you know that's our main story theme for this year, and it's an awesome and fun, compelling story. So, why wouldn't you want to experience that? Uh, across any of the products that we're putting out this year, uh, so that's not a uh, that's not a because we're doing the play testing. That's a because uh, you know gamers are uh, you know gamers are, are uh, their appetites are insatiable. You know they're they're playing a lot of different games and uh, and so they're going to go out there and you know buy board games and video games and uh, role playing games and playing their mobile game when they're in the subway or in the bathroom. Now we want to be 
you know, we want to be everywhere the D&D fan is, uh, and we want uh, those fans to, when they come together and they're talking about all the cool stories that they're uh, participating in right now, to be sharing common language. If Mike's playing the tabletop and I'm playing Neverwinter and we come in, we're just telling the same story from probably different points of view, and maybe our games are slightly different, but, you know, the same threat that is threatening the Forgotten Realms or, or, or wreaking havoc on the Forgotten Realms exists in both, so we're having a meaningful conversation and know exactly what... That's that's a truism for Dungeons and Dragons brand vision for the future. That's not because of the time the playtest is allowed. The playtest uh, is, uh, you know, is, is not addressing things like that. We already know that. If I'm not mistaken, somewhere in there, you just said you like to follow gamers into the bathroom. RC <laughs> uh, because uh, she's in here watching us, and I like to throw in a few nuggets here and there okay. for her. To- uh, to get on me later for. I've actually given you two nuggets so far that uh, got an eye roll from Marcy. So oh, good. <laughs> and, yeah, always, there's going to be an eye roll moment every time I talk, uh, and that's, that's, that's Marcy. <laughs> we love her to death. She's awesome, and uh, it's uh, it's a game we play. We're a bunch of gamers, you know. Excellent. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so when, when Next was first announced, it was also announced that there were three uh, lead designers working on it. Two of those lead designers are no longer on the project, and I'm kind of curious who has stepped up to sort of fill in those roles to help uh, Rob Schwab out with the the design and development. Yeah, no, it's always been a team process. So really, the when we started that that was our, our we had our initial design team, and since then, uh, as the game has moved on, it's moved much more to like, with Jeremy Crawford, for instance, is shouldering a lot more of the work these days because we are more in an editing and development mode. Uh, Peter Lee was one of the designers on uh, uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. He's been brought in because, again, we're, we're, we're moving from the initial concept phase to more of the finishing phase. And that's where more like of his skills come in. The uh, Rodney Thompson has been working a lot on both sides of things. So there's just been a natural progression whenever you have like, a large team of people working on things. Uh, people kind of come in, their workload rises, then it falls. as you know People with different skill sets come in, and now you need that skill set versus a more like blue sky, what could we do versus how are we going to do it approach. Okay. You want to balance party. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, you need your tank now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't like playing a cleric, but I sure do want one in the party. Uh, and you were just talking about how it's getting closer to being a bit more finished. Uh, can you give an idea of, of approximately uh, how much of it is done and which parts might be uh, more on that firmed up stage versus a moving target in the rules? Yeah, there, so for the core game and the classes, it's more how we're arranging things. So for instance, I'll give you an example because we had a witty meeting about the fighter today because we've gotten our, our feedback from the last, um, the last survey. And we're making some changes to the fighter, but really what we're doing is more how we're organizing the material in the, material in the fighter. Um, so like right now, the fighter has these kind of very prescribed paths you take, and that worked in some classes. It didn't work as well in the fighter. So we're not really changing the mechanics. We're more changing how you access those mechanics and how we're describing them. Like the, the example of the knight. Rather than saying, hey, if you're a knight, that means you're the tank. You're good at protecting people. We're saying, no, that's more a thing that any fighter can choose to do that. If we're going to give you a knight option, it's more going to focus on you're good at mounted combat, you're, you're good with heavy armor, you're good with a lance, things that are more evocative. So it, it's, it's kind of hard to say like in terms of like what percentage or like, but really what's left is more a lot of the presentation stuff, um, power balancing. Like we know some classes, you know, this is where the surveys are very useful. We know which classes are seen as weaker. We know from our own play test, you know, and from the, the alpha testers, which ones need a little bit of a boost. Um, 
And really most, so most of the work is that polish and that sort of rearranging the elements for the core game, you know, which we kind of, you can imagine like, this is just what you need to play the game. Most of the work we still need to do is more extending content, adding spells, adding monsters, um, adding some more character options, and then things like the, the optional rules. You know, if you want rules for mass combat, if you want rules for more like player-directed storytelling, you know, that kind of, a lot of stuff that game, a lot of games in the past few years have been, have been featuring more of. Um, you know, more of a, a more of a say almost like a, like a hard code killer mode of where you know it's it's you against the DM kind of thing. You know, the more tactical approach to the game. It's more answering those specific needs that people have. Like, okay, everyone, you know, sixty percent of people just play the core game, and about that other forty percent, I'm just making these numbers up, but you know, there's like four or five styles that that other forty percent are looking. For. So, so that's really where most of the work is now in getting the specific, the stuff that we know not a majority of players might be interested in, but there is a significant chunk who would like to see that option available in the game. So like 33% of it is 100% done. 33% yeah. is... <laughs> 33% is 33% That's done. That's probably actually a good way to look at it. <laughs> it sounds like right? the, the core rules are pretty firm at this point, and now it's yeah. just a matter of, of balancing and adding options. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So what, what you'll probably see in the next playtest packet of things... Oh, like uh, skills, are, we've talked about with skills, like we tried... With the last packet having a very broad approach, we're looking at now with skills going to a more, little bit more of a more narrow approach. But really what we're doing is just bringing back some concepts we had in earlier packets. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's also something that's happening too. So, Excellent. Uh, and speaking of some of this, all this math and the balancing process, um, one of the, the innovations, if, I guess, if you will, for Next is, is the concept of the flattened math. So that yeah. you know, a monster can be useful longer. A natural consequence of that is also means that lower level PCs can take on high level monsters that maybe it doesn't always feel right that they should be able to take them on. So how do you sort of address that kind of a problem without unflattening the math? Oh, so actually what we'd be doing there is just making sure monsters are at the correct level uh, relative to characters. And that's kind of part of what the, the next wave, you know, the more internal testing is, is saying... What party? What what level should the characters be when they can first defeat a dragon and things like that? And making sure that that, that feels right and narratively works out. And that's the kind of thing where like you might run the dragon fight a bunch of times in a row. Mm-hmm. The um, so to give you a sense of it, like you know we've been looking at like giving monsters levels, and one of the things we had was okay, whatever like design a monster that kills a twentieth level party in one round and make that thirtieth level, and then work like in some ways work backwards. Like it isn't that simple, but just things like that. Like we want to say, okay, thirtieth level, we know what that means. We know what it means if you're a first level party and the DM's looking at the monster manual, or whatever, and saying, oh, what level range should I be looking at? Kind of that that numerical vocabulary. That's kind of part of like the next where it's just really grinding on the math, running simulations and things like that. So a lot of it's going to come down to just making sure we have monsters pegged at the right power level within the context of our system. So, like, for instance, let's say if in 4th edition um, an ogre was a 5th level brute, um, we don't want to just say, okay, ogres are still 5th level. You know, we want to say, okay, well, what? That's really telling us that, like, a 1st level party should be really afraid of an ogre, and a 3rd level party can take one on, but it's still a challenge. What does that mean then for where the ogre is going to end up in our system? So, okay. so and so monsters you think are going to have a much wider range of levels than PCs typically will? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they, they definitely will. Okay. I think the way what kind of the assumption we're doing is like a third level party should be able to take on a third level monster. And there's like it's still a little fuzzy, but it's like, oh, it's, it, it feels like a, a challenging fight. But you're not really, you know, if it's your first battle of, of the adventure, you're not worried about losing, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So wherever it's a, maybe it's your fifth battle. 
then now there's a real threat. You've been worn down, you're low on hit points, low on spells, things like that. But no more of my fourth level party taking on a 14th level dragon, huh? <laughs> Probably not. Because <laughs> they won that fight in like three rounds. <laughs> Well, yeah. Oh no. Exactly. Yeah, and that's and that's a good example. Yeah, because right. yeah, and that's something where like the hit points and the accuracy. Because really, what we're what we're focusing on is using more hit points as a measure of your 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 uh, your power rather than accuracy. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, and also, you hinted at uh, Gen Con that you want to support a wide variety of the old D and D settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have more information about what type of support you're considering? Is it going to be a few products like 4E or deep support like uh, Forgotten Realms in Third Edition? Or something else entirely. So it's too early for us to talk specifics of products. Sure. But what yeah. we're doing right now is, uh, and this kind of ties into like, you know, if you've been following the, the packets, we have this idea, the concept of the mage, like character class category almost, with like the wizard and the sorcerer and the warlock falling into that. Really, what it's important for us at this stage is making sure that we can look at all our classic D&D settings and we don't have to twist and turn and tear apart the system to support them. Um, so really the idea is that you could take a small, we can design a small kernel of material, and then you can use that to convert over your Dark Sun campaign or your, your Dragonlance campaign. And so really what we're doing right now is identifying like what are those real load-bearing elements of, say, like Dark Sun, and saying, okay, how would we express them in our current system, and can we, can we express them in a way that's you know, aesthetically pleasing? The, um, I can't really say exactly where those might end up, but we are definitely doing the work now while we're still working on the math of the system and getting everything nailed down. So when we do want to support that setting, or if we want to give people the tease or a taste of it so they can convert to an existing campaign, we have that stuff, it's ready, we know we can do it, or we've actually completed the work, and it's in some like, like a DMG or somewhere in that. Um, the bigger picture approach we're, we're using is to say, look, we know people like to do different things with D&D, and this really fits into the idea of modularity and sculpting your campaign. If you want to run that post-apocalyptic campaign where metal's rare and, you know, so the characters are running around, you know, they're not wearing much armor and they have, it's, your, your sword's not really, you know, your sword might break and that's a big deal because, you know, it's a bone sword and finding equipment's hard. You can make those changes and you can easily, you can implement those in your game through rules modules that also happen to mimic Dark Sun because we know Dark Sun represents a type of fantasy gaming that people like. Or, you know, Eberron's more kind of steampunk kind of, you know, technology approach to fantasy. So it's kind of it actually dovetails pretty nicely in this idea of making sure the system is flexible enough, and that we can produce these rules modules that support different settings and therefore different styles of play. Okay, so you're, it's more of a, an issue of you're just making sure the the system can support it at this point, rather than actually thinking about how to support any given setting. Exactly. Yeah, through product. Yeah, exactly. The, but I wouldn't be surprised in, like, in a DMG type book if there is like, hey, if you want to run a you know, savage fantasy setting, well, there's Dark Sun, and this is like, here are the three rules. You add them to your d game, and now you're running Dark Sun. So you can't promise me my monthly for, uh, Forgotten Realms book like you, we did back in third edition, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Speaking of the realms, there's a lot going on in the realms these days. Uh, <laughs> and, and the realms seem to be a... a a cornerstone sort of 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 the brand um you know in 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 recent years at least anyway so is there a vision of how the realms are going to interact specifically with the larger brand of D moving forward like is there an assumption that it'll be a a, a core setting or anything like that uh yeah i mean i think mike has uh has uh, definitely addressed this before and uh and nothing uh 
and our world has changed as we uh, as we move in, move into the future. The Forgotten Realms is really the uh, the setting or the world that we want to play in for the next few years. Uh, we know that uh, the Forgotten Realms is uh, you know the the got the highest uh, popularity, if you will. It's definitely one of the more uh, most fleshed out worlds. It's got the most opportunity. Uh, it's got the most uncovered uh, opportunity as well. So I mean, I think that from our standpoint. The uh, the main place we want to be doing uh, our uh, our annual stories uh, for the next few years or foreseeable future is in the Forgotten Realms, and that's uh, and that answer is definitely meant to be uh, carried across all the different product expressions that we're talking about there. So that is our I, what I would call kind of our central world, rather than a uh, um, what was the term you used? Core setting. Yeah, rather than a core setting, think about it. Uh, you know, think about the the forgotten uh, realms uh, as uh, as the as the you know the primary world in which we're telling stories for the next few years. Uh, because in some cases, we're going to be telling those stories in a world where you know setting isn't the right term. It's you know it's going to be hey, I'm going to uh, you know uh, I'm, I'm, we're we're going to go into the forgotten realms, and this is what it means. And here's my character, and I'm playing and hacking and slashing and beating up and uh, you know that might be on a console or a computer or uh, a mobile phone but uh, we think that it's a it's a really really rich world with a, a ton of stuff to you know to stories to still be told um, and uh, and by far and away you know the favorite uh, the setting when you look in the on all the different categories that uh, that that stands out as the the favorite and so uh, you know why not lead off with the uh, you know on our best foot yep uh, and is that your guys' favorite setting? It's not. What is your favorite setting? Just go ahead and tell me. It's 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 my favorite setting, but I've been a Forgotten Realms fan since I was like twelve. So it's my favorite too. So okay, good. Tracy, uh, I rate my own. Yeah. <laughs> huh? I create my own stuff. Uh, I've I've forced Tracy to read some read some realms in our book club uh, in the last few years, but. Yeah. And I think a lot of the creators too. I think a lot of the people who create their own stuff. I think they get some of the biggest inspiration from from the Forgotten Realms. I think that when you're looking at a at a, a world that's so detailed out, and I mean, let's let's be honest, Ed Greenwood's been working on this thing longer than I've been alive. So uh, you know, when we have a question about the Forgotten Realms, he pulls out a piece of parchment paper and says, "Well," <laughs> and uh, and so that depth I think has really inspired people to create. So I, I would even say a lot of the people who create their own worlds, they draw a lot of inspiration from the Forgotten Realms because it is so detailed. Uh, and then sort of related to the to the realms is uh, organized play. And I actually, I was at a convention this past weekend and I heard a lot about the changes, uh, upcoming changes to organized play. Uh, so I was wondering uh, what your perception of how the changes have been received by the community and what the strategy going forward uh, might be as we uh, ramp up to the release of next. Uh, so let me first say that uh, yeah, organized play has, uh, has seen some change in the format recently, uh, and it's been pretty exciting. I, uh, I think there's been a major uh, change in format this year in general, though, that applies to organized play and everything, and that's just the uh, with the Sundering campaign. This idea that uh, players are shaping the the Forgotten Realms, uh, I think, is a really big new thing. Uh, it's exciting, and we've carried that over into organized play. So that's one of the first big changes. Is you know your play in organized play is going to impact the actual canon of the Forgotten Realms in the in the future. And Mike and his team are signed up to you know go down this path and have players play uh, impact what the world is going to be like for the future stories to be told. So I think that's really cool, and I think that's been really really well received. Uh, so that's one of the first changes that uh, that we've seen. I think the 
Um, the other exciting change uh, that has been related to that on organized play is uh, using adventures that um, that someone could uh, pick up who wasn't next to a local store or they can't play. And I think that's exciting as well. It's a change, and you might think, oh, that's a weird change. That doesn't really relate to organized play. But it kind of does because that notion of people telling the stories around the table and how they're uh, you know, how their stories unfolding and being able to share those stories is really key and important to us. And now if you're somebody and you're not living near a store, you can participate online in these discussions about what's happening in encounters this week. So I think that's a pretty neat new uh, change as well. And we've seen really good, um, we've seen really good feedback. Uh, we've seen, and when I say that, I guess, let me uh, change that uh, say not feedback. We've seen really good early indicators in terms of the participation in our organized play. The, uh, we did the launch weekend, um, which was a new thing for us. It was something completely different. So it's uh, safe to say we had more people participate in the launch weekend of organized play than we ever have. Uh, no, but it was just new. But I thought that was an exciting way to do it because we did it at Gen Con for all the players that were there. But it also extended to hundreds of stores and uh, let people jump in that way, too. So I thought that was a, a, a pretty neat new thing. And we got saw a really great uh, turnout both at Gen Con and in the stores. So the, you know that, that indicates that it's a... Uh, um, change and then in our encounter season, you know, one of the biggest changes that I think we've seen is uh, allowing people to use uh, the Dungeons and Dragons Next rule set uh, in their organized play. And we're seeing, uh, you know, the the encounters numbers have gone up this season, so that indicates that uh, there's a positive response to it. And when I read the recaps, you know, there's a lot of websites where the people will uh, kind of give you the week uh, the weekly play by play and their encounter season, and you're seeing. A really positive response to the open-ended nature uh, of the adventure, uh, and then uh, I've, I've personally read a couple things that uh, said uh, that they uh, had uh, more people show up to their weekly encounters, uh, and it was either because they thought the murder in Baldur's Gate sounded like a really cool story, uh, or they were excited about being able to uh, to try out next and, and do that in the stores. So uh, there's been a lot of changes. We uh, we've seen some really good initial feedback on that. And I think as we go into uh, Dungeons and Dragons next and uh, and get on that, I think the key important thing for us is to take all of these learnings, to take the customer feedback, to take the fans' responses, just like with the play test, and uh, and really listen to what they like and uh, and in cases what they don't like about these programs, and to use that as a foundation for our organized play moving forward. Very good. And on a complete side note, it occurs to me that we keep saying D and D next a lot, and that's been the the name sort of given to it. At, at what point? But we've been told that's not going to be the name. At what point in time are we going to know what to actually call this game? Uh, that's a really good question. Like he leaves those uh, those problems for my team. Exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's a it's a funny one. I, I will tell you that you do have to give these things official names, but there's a. Uh, you know, there's a, a bunch of different reasons that you name something, how you name something. I think sure. for us, the important sentiment uh, going forward that you would take away from any of these things is that, you know, Dungeons and Dragons uh, should stand uh, for uh, ubiquitous, uh, you know, uh, things across all the different play expressions on that. So no matter what it ends up, you know, quote unquote, getting named, uh, you know, just I think the uh, the experience that you're having in any Dungeons and Dragons experience, no matter what the name of the product is, uh, should be the same. So when we, uh, you know, kind of unveil that, I, I can't tell you when. I'll say that next year is sure. the 40th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, you know, I, I think we want to. We've got an exciting plan, and uh, and, uh, and we want to continue a, a very long celebration uh, throughout the year on the 40th anniversary. So we're uh, planning some exciting moments there, and 
you know, it feels like a great opportunity. Very good, very good. And ultimately, sometimes, you, you know, no matter what you do and no matter how you brand it, it's the community that gets to decide what it's called, right? Yeah, yeah. You can call it whatever you want. I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, and we right now we refer to the different editions by the uh, the numbers. But I'm kind of guessing, uh, you know, when I played uh, Dungeons and Dragons and uh, when I first started Dungeons and Dragons in 1988, I was actually technically, I guess, playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but we never called it that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we we called it Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. We, well, we called it AD and D. Yeah, that's what I, that's what uh, I learned on. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, uh, it, uh, the second edition came out uh, pretty early on of me playing Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, uh, you know, I was pretty young, and so we couldn't afford the new stuff. So people probably were playing second edition, and I was still playing the other one. So maybe I called it D and D at that point, or Dungeons and Dragons, because I didn't want to, you know, be left out on the new wave, but sure. I couldn't afford the new book. Very good. Uh, now, one of the things that was talked about a lot at Gen Con was all the the wide range of video game licenses. Uh, DDO, Neverwinter, Arena of War, uh, Lords of Waterdeep was announced, uh, plus the re-release of some old games in new formats and all kinds of different things. And I'm curious sort of what the brand strategy is moving forward with digital offerings. Is, is it an additional uh, you know, revenue source for the company? Is it an attempt to gain new audience uh, for the RPG? Is it kind of a combination of both things? What's, what's sort of the, the overall plan or, or vision for uh, digital well, I, th- I think we already touched on this, and I don't think digital is any different than what we were talking about before. Sure. Our overall vision is, uh, you know, we want to tell amazing, uh, you know, compelling stories uh, in the early times set in the Forgotten Realms, uh, and and I think we just we don't um, we don't care what the medium is that you uh, experience that story, and we want to deliver our fantastic stories in you uh, in whatever format uh, you want, you know. So we want to go where the gamers are, and we want to be. You know, uh, we want to make those decisions based on what the uh, you know what the market's telling us. So, uh, I would tell you right now that you listed off a, a few awesome games, but you only really talked about kind of two or three um, kind of categories or platforms, if you will. And we know that gamers are uh, you know uh, um, out there on consoles. We know that there's gamers that uh, in different genres on on mobile and uh, and on PC that we're uh, not currently delivering. That there should be fantastic. Dungeons and Dragons experiences, and we've got the our stories would uh, would do so well on. So for us right now, it's really about making sure that we're telling those stories, making sure we've got an annual narrative that uh, is exciting for a fantasy gamer, no matter what your platform, uh, and then that we really return to uh, the concept or the idea of uh, Dungeons and Dragons video games standing for just best in class video games. When you think back to Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter, those were not just awesome games that sold a ton; those were really highly rated, high quality uh, games that we're doing some cool stuff. So I think our, our strategy is to work with best-in-class partners uh, to bring the digital games to market that the, uh, that the fans want uh, that tie into our annual uh, stories and, uh, and the great narratives that uh, we're telling in the Forgotten Realms. So I, I kind of have a question, um, but it's not part of this, but it's, it's, it's not on the list. Uh, but you're talking about working with uh, digital. I'm sorry. You're just talking about working with digital partners. Are the, might that include uh, non-digital partners who maybe want to serve markets that aren't exactly what you would typically serve? Give an example. That is a fantastic question, and uh, I think the uh, politically correct answer would be, of course, we're always looking. No, I, 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 it's a real answer. <laughs> 
the answer is yeah no i mean that's a great spirit there's you know there's mediums and 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 product categories and stuff that don't even exist yet that dungeons and dragons would be fantastic for and we're going to be open to that we want to we want to be where the fans are and and deliver our fantastic you know iconic characters and cities and locations and stories uh, to to these fantasy entertainment fans uh, on on all the uh, the right mediums and, and product lines that are out there. Creo is a great example for it, right? You know, we've got Creo out there, and uh, you know the little Dritz uh, character is awesome looking. And uh, you know, for a kid, that means one thing, and for you know, for me, that means uh, something else. You know, and so that uh, that product's a great example. It, it makes perfect sense. And you know, the uh, the Creo guys are, uh, you know, um, you know, that's not going to carry some, you know, uh, huge story and everything. But it's a fantastic, uh, you know, medium for the Dungeons and Dragons uh, characters and locations, and it's really cool. So yeah, the answer is yes. Of course, we'd always be looking for those partners, whether they be internal partners or whether they be uh, someone new on the horizon. I think the real key for us is that Mike's job and Mike's team and what we're doing here. Is uh, is again? We're we're, we're telling best in class stories, uh, you know, set in the set in the fantasy worlds that we've created, and uh, and we want to be, uh, you know, relevant and uh, you know, uh, timely and 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 exciting and engaging along the way, and then the, you know, the, the products will work themselves out. Hold on. Uh, and, Why do you have product idea, Tracy? You got something for us? I I want to write some. I don't know. I want to write some adventures, but I, I, I know that that has been a question we haven't really been able to ask before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you bring up, a, a, you know, a good point, though, right? I mean, like, for instance, we've got a uh, our sundering line of novels. You know, we've got six authors making these fantastic novels. We've got our IDW partner making comics, you know, novellas are a question, digital comics, webisodes, things like that. These are all fantastic opportunities for people to engage with our story in different mediums, and uh, we always want to be looking and, and finding uh, what the right, uh, you know, what the right places are to get that story out to to the audience. But we'll let the market, uh, you know, demand uh, kind of dictate uh, our priority list. We can't do everything all at once, and so you know, we'll start with the, you know, the really, really big gaping holes first. You know, we we've, uh, we've been absent uh, a little bit from. Uh, um, from some of the digital platforms, uh, and there's big audiences there that want our games. So we're going to, I think, focus on uh, filling those uh, with great, uh, uh, you know, with great games first, and then uh, and then we'll kind of go down the list. I think, okay, so maybe I, I think what, third party. I think what Tracy really wants to do is uh, Forgotten Realms romance chat books. <laughs> uh, you know, after oh, Aaron yeah, Evans' novels, so I'm where talk that's Shelly Mazanoble on my team and okay. ask for the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or and also just like the in, in the past, it's been done through uh, third party publishing licensing. But it sounds like maybe that's not necessarily the biggest, uh, uh, not necessarily either ready or something to be talked about yet. Probably not to be talked about yet, but yeah, it's definitely you know on our list. Uh, we we want to get these stories out there. We want to you know engage the fan base and uh, finding the right way to engage them. Uh, you know, oftentimes is a, is a different product that we haven't done before and. Uh, it's just uh, it's a matter of just listening to our audience and making sure that we're uh, you know that we're making the right uh, making the right games that they want to or making the right uh, experiences that they want to uh, engage with our brand with. Cool. So, any other uh, licensing things we should keep keep an eye out for on the horizon as we wait for the the new edition to come out? I know we've talked to video games, we talked to Creo. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation online about you know the the legal issues with the movies and all that. Um, I'm just sort of curious what what should we be looking out for coming up in the next year or so. 
Yeah, it's new licensing things. Uh, no, across the board, I think that uh, uh, we're going to come out there and try and surprise and uh, and delight, if you will, to use uh, you know marketing talk. Uh, so I don't want to take one of the spoilers, but I'll tell you that we're on a great path. Uh, you know, I, I think that the games that uh, that we're putting out, uh, no matter what uh, platform it's on, is great. The fun surprises like Creo. You know, so some of the surprises you're going to see are probably going to be within uh, places we're already doing things, and just we're going to continue to to give you guys fun surprises. And some of them might be in in new products, but uh, we're we're looking to uh, you know we're definitely looking to uh, expand uh, and uh, and make sure that the 40th anniversary is a really huge, uh, exciting uh, time in uh, in D and D's history, and uh, that it uh, has some fun surprises there. So definitely within the next year, you're going to see. Some stuff, but I'm uh, not going to fall for your trickery. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sly, <laughs> uh, and so I just wanted to finish off with. Uh, unless Tracy has any any last questions. No, I'm okay. Okay, so I just want to sort of want to finish off with: Is there any anything any messages you want to send to uh, the D and D fans and the listeners of the show? Uh, something that we haven't talked about, but you think they should probably know about. Uh, I want to reiterate the point that right now we uh, are running adventures where the fans get to impact the fate of the far Forgotten Realms. And, uh, yeah, they should be playing and giving us the feedback. Like, don't just play these adventures. Get on there. We've made it really easy to give feedback. We created an app that works on the computer and your cell phone and everything else. You know, so uh, this – when do you get an opportunity to, you know, jump in and take a fantasy setting like the Forgotten Realms and, and leave your mark on it? So don't miss this uh, – don't miss this opportunity. It's uh, it's exciting, and we've seen some really good uh, participation. But I know there's a lot more people out there playing Murder in Baldur's Gate, and it's a really great opportunity. So uh, don't uh, don't let your voice uh, be unheard. What's the time limit on that? Uh, that is a great question for someone on my team. I do not know. Uh, but uh, Murder in Baldur's Gate, I know it encounters is uh, running for uh, probably the next ten weeks uh, uh, through November. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, you got to jump in while it's uh, while they're uh, uh, running at the at your local store in terms of the timing. You can still play them at home, but the the windows are going to go with the uh, with the encounter season, so that sure. we can kind of put a cap on that season, tell people about the results, and then go into the next season. So, uh, yeah, check our uh, uh, our website uh, on dungeonsanddragons.com and click on events and encounter season. You'll see when it's running. There's a store locator there that tells you the local store. But even if you just run the adventure at home with your friends. Yeah, definitely report your results so that uh, we can get the uh, you know the biggest number of uh, of uh, results so that we can get an accurate tally on what the uh, shape of the realm should be like. Right on. And Mike, any messages from you for things that we didn't ask about? Just keep playing D and D, and if you happen to be playtesting next, give us your feedback. Uh, that's basically long and short of it. Very good. Well, then I think uh, that's that's what we got, All right, Tracy? Yep. All right, well, I want to thank both of you for coming on. That's Mike Merles and Nathan Stewart. Uh, and thank you for having us. I yeah. uh, thought you guys were very nice to the newbie. Oh, good. Yeah, we did try not to be too mean, huh? Yeah, I, I heard the victory, but you, uh, you were nice. Thank All you right. very much. All right, cool. Thanks again. All right, and that was our interview with Mike Merles and Nathan Stewart. I want to thank both of them for joining us as well as the D&D PR folks for hooking us up with that interview. I also want to thank listeners like you who head over to Noble Knight and let them know that, that you heard about them from the Tome Show. And also those of you who use our affiliate links to shop at Amazon or D&D Classics. All of those things help keep the show going, and we appreciate that. 
And if you'd like to uh, contact us, you can send us an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com or give us a call on our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is officially episode 222. Very uh, repetitive. <laughs> Where we have learned about the state of the game from Mike Merles and Nathan Stewart in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The I'm not a